All right, take your Bibles this morning, turn with me to Matthew chapter 26 once again. Matthew uh, chapter 26. And this morning we want to look at the next verses that come in our study of this book of Matthew. And that's uh, verses 26 through 30. And we see the institution of the Lord's Supper uh, given here in our text this morning. Now, when we come to this portion of Scripture, we read about Jesus Christ instituting what was, uh, has come to be known as the Lord's Supper. Last week, uh, we observed one of the two ordinances of the New Testament uh, church, and that was baptism. Last week, we had a baptism. And uh, later today, we're going to observe the other ordinance, the Lord's Supper. Uh, here at Swinner Baptist Church, we observe the ordinance, uh, this ordinance, on the first Sunday of each month. Uh, there is no specific instruction in the Bible on how often we uh, are to observe this ordinance. Uh, some will do that uh, every Sunday, some will do it uh, uh, once a year, some will do it uh, once a quarter. Uh, we have chosen to uh, do it once a month. Uh, but the Bible does tell us, as oft as ye eat and drink of the elements, we are to remember what Christ did for us on the cross. Now, let me say, although the Bible gives no specific instruction concerning this, I believe it's best to observe this ordinance in the evening service. Uh, there are a couple of reasons I believe that. Number one, it's called the Lord's Supper, right? Uh, uh, supper is usually in the evening, uh, and uh, when that's when the Lord uh, ate the uh, or instituted the meal. I believe it was in the evening. Uh, it is uh, also a local church ordinance, and I I think for that reason it's meant for those who are saved, and it's uh, those who are baptized, uh, those who are members of a New Testament Bible believing church of like faith. It's not a sacrament, it's not a ritual that uh, provides salvation for those who participate. Usually in the morning service, we have uh, probably more uh, most of the visitors that we have, and we don't uh, really know if they're saved or un, uh, unsaved, they're baptized, or they're part of a New Testament church. And, and uh, when we pass the elements, we're not going to quiz people. We're not going to say to you, are you saved? You know, nope, you can't have it. No, you know, we're not going to go down the road and uh, do that. Uh, but uh, as we uh, learn what uh, the Lord instituted here, I believe, and see it practiced in the New Testament Bible-believing church and throughout the New Testament, we find out who were the uh, participants and so forth. Uh, it is for the saved. It's not for the unsaved. Uh, it doesn't do anything uh, for an unsaved person to uh, take. Uh, it just gives them a little nibble and a little bit of sip of something, and that's it. It doesn't do anything beyond that. Now, does it do anything for the Christian? Uh, well, not physically. Uh, Paul uh, was dealing with the church at Corinth, uh, and they made the Lord's Supper into a love feast. And if we said, well, we're just going to have the Lord's Supper over there in the fellowship hall, uh, and we're going to uh, just eat and drink and be merry and, and have a good time, uh, that's not the purpose of the Lord's Supper. Uh, it is something that we, we bring together with a, uh, with the minimal, uh, amount of, of the, the elements, uh, because they're symbols 
And they're just to remind us of what the Lord did. I think Sunday evenings are usually made up of our church family, and so that's why I believe it should be done. Now you say, well, we're not going to have an evening service today. Well, we're going to have an early evening service, okay? Uh, we're going to... Um, we're going to have our fellowship dinner, and then we're going to have our afternoon service, and we're going to observe uh, the Lord's Supper, and uh, and we're going to to do it uh, early in the afternoon or in the afternoon. Uh, we're just going to have early supper then, okay? Uh, some of you have early suppers all the time. Uh, when you get to be uh, over 60, 65, that's when you eat at 4.30 in the afternoon. Uh, you know, when you're young, you eat at Eight, nine, or ten, and but uh, when you're when you get to be an older person, you, you just. Uh, and I don't, my rule is always uh, never eat on an empty stomach. You know, uh, that's uh, kind of what. And uh, you can see that's kind of worked for me, uh, or worked against me, I guess you could say. But here uh, again, we're not uh, uh, here to make light of the Lord's Supper, but uh, we're here to realize that uh, this is the passage of Scripture where this is uh, uh, taught to us and the basis of our obs- uh, observation of it. Uh, perhaps you, the, the, to you, the Lord's Supper has stood as one of those things that the church does that really didn't make a lot of sense to you, uh, maybe as you were growing up or as uh, you've uh, uh, been in church uh, in your life. Uh, uh, you're you're aware that God Christ commanded it, and you're aware that it's a memorial meal. But what do those little pieces of bread mean? Uh, when He said, "This is My body," uh, I've heard this many many times, but it's plain to me that it was really just a piece of bread, a little piece of bread. Uh, what does the uh, little cup of uh, grape juice mean? Uh, Jesus said, "This is My blood, the blood of the covenant." Uh, the trays passed and you uh, dutifully take your place at the Lord's Supper. And perhaps it seems to be only a ritual, um, but it has little meaning. And I've found, and I hope you will as well, that uh, the Lord's Supper is something that can be spiritually nourishing. It's not going to fill your stomach up, but it can be that which as you faithfully and correctly Think about what Jesus Christ did for you on Calvary's cross. It can nourish you spiritually. As we're able to focus on, by faith, upon Jesus Christ and his death on our behalf, as well as on behalf of our brothers and sisters in Christ. And rather than the supper being just a ritual that we're obligated to endure, I hope we can see the Lord's Supper as a treasured part of our church life. It's a time when this body of Christ gathers as one to remember our Lord, to think about his sacrificial death, uh, to consider the weightiness of Christ dying in our place before the wrath of God, and to know that the effects of that atoning death uh, take on an ever-deepening dimension, especially as we are able to think and ponder uh, and uh, uh, about the work of Christ for us. And so we're going to consider our text this morning, uh, consider the institution of the Lord's Supper. And then later today, we'll be observing uh, this ordinance. And we desire to remember the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ more vividly and realistically through the Lord's Supper. Now, how does the Lord's Supper help us to do that? Well, notice, first of all, the Supper. The first Lord's Supper here 
was a part of the Passover meal celebrated by Jesus and his disciples. Notice verse 26. And it says, as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and break it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. Bread was a part of the Passover meal along with the roasted lamb uh, to remember the Passover lamb slain on their behalf, the bitter herbs to remember the toil of bondage in Egypt and a dip of the crushed uh, fruit or vinegar that appeared to symbolize the um, perhaps the mud used to make the bricks under Pharaoh's harsh command. I mean, there's a whole lot more to the Passover than what, often what we think about. Uh, unleavened bread was used due to the haste of le- leaving Egypt on Passover night, since the bread was uh, still in the kneading bowls and had no time to rise. And so Jesus gathered his disciples for the last Passover uh, feast. He began a new institution for his church. A wonderful permanent tra- tradition for the church is the Lord's Supper. We find that what Christ instituted linked clearly with the redemption we see in the Old Testament, particularly associated with the sacrifices that were substituted for the people in preparation for the final sacrifice that God would send to redeem his people. Now we see, first of all, a historical link uh, with redemption. Passover brought both uh, bitter and sweet memories for the Israelites. The bitter memories focused on their bondage, Uh, or their slavery to Egypt. The sweet memories focused on Jehovah, delivering them from bondage by the plagues, especially the death of the firstborn and his parting of the Red Sea, so they might escape the armies of Egypt. And as families gathered to eat the Passover meal and talk about the meaning of each symbol in the meal, they sang some of the Psalms particularly the Psalms 113 through 118 uh, were the Psalms that were sung, usually at the Passover meal. They thought about redemption and what God provided uh, to deliver them. Uh, But when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, the need for observing the annual uh, Passover feast ended. And even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 5, 7. The bondage, remembered, was no longer in Egypt, but the master uh, was, the bondage uh, was, the greater bondage, the greater master was Satan and sin and the fear of death. No longer do we remember the Passover lamb whose blood was spread on the doorposts of each home among the Jews in Egypt. But we do remember Christ, our Passover, who was given for us to deliver us from sin and Satan and death. Redemption is needed only if someone is in a hopeless condition. The hopeless condition of slavery. And if you're here this morning without Christ, you're a slave to sin. That is the situation with each one of us apart from Christ. We're enslaved to the prince of the power of the air, in bondage to the deadness and the trespasses and sins, and suffering under the fear of death and judgment. A Redeemer comes to the aid of those in this kind of bondage, and through great price provides the payment of redemption. Now in the case of the children of Israel in Egypt, the Passover lamb bore the price of their redemption by offering its life in their stead. For the penitent on the day of atonement, it was the blood of the goat that stood in the place of the people to bear their judgment away. But in our place, we have no blood of bulls and goats. 
Besides that, the blood of bulls and goats could never take away sin. We have the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, as our Redeemer, who through the incarnation became a part of this race and he, became, he came to, re, to redeem us. And being the Son of God gave infinite value to his death for us. Being a human, just as we are, gave him the right to bear away the judgment of God in heaven. So there's a historical link with redemption. Secondly, there's a historical association with a substitute. As we think about the original Passover for just a moment here, after the nine plagues in Egypt, the hardness of Pharaoh seemed to uh, uh, be unrelenting, and he commanded Moses to leave his sight and never to appear before him again. Moses assured him that he would see him no more. And then the Lord warned Israel that he, the Lord would pass over Egypt and slay all the firstborn of man and beast unless he saw the blood of the Passover lamb on their doorposts. So Moses instructed the Israelites to select a lamb for each family. Upon slaying it, dip a branch of hyssop into the blood and apply the blood to the lintel and the doorpost and then remain in their houses until morning. We read over in Exodus chapter 12, verse 23, For the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians, and when he seeth the blood upon the lintel and on the two side posts, the Lord will pass over the door, and will not suffer the destroyer to come in unto your houses to smite you. And ye shall observe this thing for an ordinance to thee and to thy sons forever, and it shall come to pass when ye be come to the land which the Lord will give you, according as he hath promised, that he shall keep this service. And it shall come to pass when your children shall say unto you, What mean ye by this service? That ye shall say, It is a sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when he smote the Egyptians and delivered our houses, and the people bowed the head and worshipped. Now what kept these people from experiencing the same judgment as the Egyptians? Well, it was not a certain uh, it was not a certain level of righteousness. It wasn't acts of good deeds that they offered to God. It was only the Passover lamb that stood in their place by the sacrifice of its lifeblood for uh, they were redeemed. And so a substitute provided redemption. Now many lambs died as substitutes for the people in the original Passover. But we have something far greater The Son of God became our substitute. He felt his own human nature, uh, in his own human nature, the full measure of divine wrath that was due to us. And that's why Jesus declared in his death in the Lord's Supper, when he broke the bread and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And in the cup, drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remissions of sins. And so there's an association here with a substitute. So that's the supper. Secondly, we notice the symbols. Two very simple, common elements frame the practice of the Lord's Supper. The bread and the cup. The bread served as a staple for the part, that part of the world, just as it does for many portions of the globe today. The one thing that most people have today in the world to eat is bread. The cup was a part of the feast days and common in their lives as well. Both of these elements were a part of the Passover meal. And so it was within the context of the Passover that Jesus gave new meaning to these two elements. He gave them 
as lasting memorials for the New Testament church as his death on our behalf. He did not include the bitter herbs. He didn't include the crushed fruit that symbolized the difficulties and the bitterness of the past because Christ had taken away the bitterness of our sin and our bondage. It does not include the annual slaying of a Passover lamb because Christ, our Passover lamb, was slain one time, once for all. And the effect of his death secures us for eternity. Focus of the Lord's Supper is upon the body and the blood of Christ, our Redeemer. Again, the bread. He said, this is my body. It says there in, uh, in our text there, as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and break it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. Now that last phrase there, this is my body, has been a subject of endless debate. Roman Catholicism holds that upon the consecra- uh, consecration of the wafer or the host, the bread becomes the actual body of Christ. But just as the Passover meal was filled with symbolism, so also is the bread at the Lord's table. Christ our Lord, the exalted God-man, sits at the Father's right hand, not in a little plate to be served. Christ has already been sacrificed for us. He doesn't have to be sacrificed again and again and again and again. Hebrews 10.10 says, By by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Christ once for all. Once for all. So Christ's command, take, eat, this is my body, calls for us to look to Him. To think upon Him in His incarnation. To consider the necessity that God the Son became part of the race that He came to redeem and realize the new price He bore on our behalf for salvation. That's the bread. Then there's the cup. This is my blood of the New Testament. He took the cup, it tells us here, And he said, drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remissions of sins. Now, just as with the bread, the wine or juice uh, uh, does not become the actual blood of Jesus Christ. His shed blood for us was done once. So there's no new sacrifice that's needed to give grace to sinners. Christ declared, it is finished as he died for us on the cross. Those three words have great meaning. It is finished. It's done. No more can be added to his bloody death. And yet we are to remember anew the cost of the new covenant relationship that we have with him. Moses ratified the old covenant by sprinkling blood upon the people after he read from the old covenant law to them. Back in Exodus chapter 24, it says, All that the Lord hath said will we do and be obedient. And the children of Israel declared. And in order to show that they had covenanted with God to fully obey and that the Lord had committed the, was committed to blessing the people as long as they kept their covenant promise. Again, in verse 8 of Exodus 24, it says, And Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant which the Lord hath made with you concerning all these words. But the blood of Christ enacted a new covenant, one that is not bilateral so that each must keep up his covenant promises, but rather one that is unilateral, one-sided, 
The old covenant hinged on the people's faithfulness to keep the law. And of course we realize that they failed miserably at that point. Just as we too would have failed miserably. The law served its purpose to reveal the depths of human sinfulness. But what we needed was not a new law to save us, but we needed grace. Aren't you thankful for the grace of God? Such is the new covenant enabled by the blood of Jesus Christ. For by grace are you saved through faith, not of works, not of sacrificing that blood over and over and over, but a gift of God. Jeremiah 31 31 says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was an husband unto them, saith the Lord. But this shall be a covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts, and I will write it in their hearts, and I will be their their God, and they shall be my people, and they shall teach no more every man his neighbor, every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them and to the greatest of them, saith the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. And so it was necessary that the new covenant be mediated by the blood of Jesus Christ, the new covenant with new promises of grace. Again, the writer of Hebrews declared, But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry, by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then shall no place have been sought for the second, in that he saith a new covenant, he hath made the first old. Now that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. The covenant which we enter into by grace through faith in Christ promises forgiveness of sins. And so as we drink the cup, we're reminded of the price of our forgiveness. We don't eat the bread and drink the cup for forgiveness, but we're reminded of it. We're reminded of what Jesus Christ did on our behalf. Now here in verse 29... Jesus says, But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Each time we drink of the cup in the Lord's Supper, we're also anticipating the day of consummation when all that Christ has secured for us in His death and resurrection will come to a grand consummation in His kingdom forever. We're looking for the coming of the Lord. We've talked about the coming of the Lord uh, in recent uh, months here in our study. Every time we observe the Lord's table, we're looking for His coming. That ought to mean something in the day in which we live. Notice thirdly, finally, the spiritual realities. So what are we doing when we participate in the Lord's table? I think there are three mistakes against which it is here necessary uh, to be on guard about. First, not to confound the spiritual blessing with a sign. Secondly, not to seek Christ on earth or earthly elements. And thirdly, not to imagine any other kind of eating which draws us into the life of Christ by some secret power 
of the Spirit. We only get the Spirit of God into our lives, into our heart by faith. For by grace are you saved through faith. The spiritual reality of this is that it's just not a sign here. And we're not to seek Christ on this earth. And we're not to uh, imagine any other kind of eating draws us into the life of Christ. So notice here three things. The blessing. First of all, the blessing of the Lord's Supper is not found in the symbols. But the blessing is really in Christ. It's not the actual bread or cup of juice that gives us the blessing. It's not that which gives us strength. But it's grace. The grace of Christ. It's Christ who gives us this blessing. And so our focus is not upon some mystical changing of the elements of this table, but really, they're really just to help us focus our attention on what Christ has given for us at the cross. The true mystery is not found in the bread and the cup, but in the greatness of God's love and kindness to us, that He would be pleased to send His Son to become a part of this human race and to suffer His own infinite wrath on our behalf at the cross. What a blessing. Secondly, there's the blesser. The Lord who blesses is not some power in the bread or the cup. Now, some people would come to the Lord's Supper superstitiously, as though the actual eating of this little piece of bread and drinking the little cup of juice serves as some source of blessing. No, there's no blessing in the elements. They're just bread and juice. And the one who blesses is Christ. Look to Christ, seated at the right hand of the Father, exalted as the sovereign Lord and reigning until every enemy is put beneath his feet. The blesser is Christ. And then thirdly, the blessed. Remember that time that Jesus told his hearers in John chapter 6, Then Jesus said unto them, Verily verily I say unto you, Except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. Now, some people look at that passage of Scripture there in John 6, verses 53 through 55. Say, well, that looks like a call for cannibalism. No, it's not a call for cannibalism. But by the supernatural work of the Spirit, as we believe in Christ, we receive Him and all the life, His life on our behalf. And so, in the Lord's Supper, we partake by faith, receiving anew the life and death of Christ on our behalf, finding our satisfaction in Him alone. So we come to a feast upon Jesus Christ, not upon some mystical transformation of the elements on the table, but through faith, looking to Christ, remembering Him in His incarnation, His righteous life, His substitutionary death at the cross, and His eternal satisfaction of God's eternal justice for us. And so we look to Jesus Christ and we remember the deepest satisfaction that He alone can give us as He forgives us our sins and gives us a new life. 
Those of you that have trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, can you remember the joy that came upon your heart and the freedom that you experienced in Jesus Christ? No longer a slave to the sin. That's certainly a blessing. Jesus Christ is the blesser and we are the blessed. Now then, as we conclude, notice verse 30. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. And that's what we usually do at the conclusion of our observance of the Lord's table here. But I want to impress upon your hearts this morning a thought that you may or may not have thought of before. Don't you think that it would have been great to be at the first Lord's Supper? And I've often thought about that, about historical events and uh, things that have happened over the course of history. As I've studied it and so forth, wouldn't it have been great to be there? And this is one of those times where you think, boy, wouldn't it be great to be there? Well, even though there it was an uneasy moment when Jesus told them there would be one who among them would betray him. Now, I think it must have been a wonderful time and a moving time, even though there was kind of this cloud over them. They concluded their time together with a hymn, probably one of those psalms. And then they went out. Now, even though Jesus told them at the supper there was one who was going to betray them, that one went out before the Lord's Supper, actually. He did not participate. He didn't qualify to participate. He wasn't saved. The Lord's Supper is for those who've trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior. Now, when they went out, perhaps there were some mixed feelings and they were trying to process all the things that they were told, the events that were taking place. And as we conclude our service this morning, maybe there are those of you that have some mixed feelings, some confused thoughts. You're trying to process this message. Well, let me say this, that God is not the author of confusion. The Lord is very clear that He wants us to be very clear about the our matter, the matter of our relationship with Him. The first Lord's Supper came just before He went to the cross to die for the sins of mankind. And through His Word, He has made it very clear that unless you put your faith in the shed blood of Jesus Christ, you're going to spend an eternity in hell. Your only hope is in Jesus Christ and what He did for you on Calvary's cross. And the Lord's Supper does not save you. The Lord's Supper is not for unbelievers. The Lord's Supper is not for believers who aren't right with God. And again, we don't crucify Jesus over and over again. The bread does not become His body. The cup does not become His blood. They're symbols, pictures if you please, and a memorial of what Christ has done. When you go to a memorial service, perhaps at a funeral home or a cemetery... Oftentimes, there'll be a picture of the person that you're remembering. That is not the actual person there, is it? And this cup and, these, and, the, and the blood, or the juice, is not the actual body and cup. They're symbols, they're pictures. And the Lord's Supper is observed in obedience to God's command. 
And it's for those who put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Their heads bowed and their eyes closed this morning.